G'day legends and welcome to Your Life of Impact, where we connect with world-class athletes and coaches, health experts and enthusiasts, inspiring entrepreneurs and community leaders, all to teach you how to tap into your inner excellence. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm extremely grateful you're joining us today on Your Impactful Journey. Ali Hill is the CEO of AFR Fast 100 company called Pragmatic Thinking, which is a behavior and motivation strategy company. She's also a psychologist, an award-winning businesswoman, an influential keynote speaker, producer and host of Standout Life podcast. She's a regular on mainstream media and a best-selling author. She's also a bit of a character and brings humor to her seriously impactful work. And on her website, she writes, all of the above sounds pretty impressive, but some days I spend an excessive amount of time looking for my sunglasses and the buggers are usually sitting on top of my head. (laughs) She also refers to herself as a professional head mechanic, being a psychologist. So Ali's books are... Stand Out, a real-world guide to get clear, find purpose, and become the boss of busy. And she's the best-selling co-author of the top business book, Dealing with the Tough Stuff, How to Achieve Results from Key Conversations. And her latest book is called Work From Anywhere, The Essential Guide to Becoming a World-Class Hybrid Team, which was released April 1st, 2021. So I actually recorded this episode with Ali a few weeks before that date. And I know that you're listening to this episode after that date. So it's out there. It's ready for you. And we'll speak about it in this episode. We cover a lot of the content in this in this chat. Uh, sorry, the content that we do cover is expanded on in her books and especially in the standout book. We elaborate on that quite a bit because it's it's the juicy stuff that I know you guys will get a lot of value from. If you want to have a chance to win some of Ali's books, stay tuned to the very end and also listen to the outro as Ali and I are giving you an opportunity to receive her books for free. So in this episode, we discuss what it means to live a standout life, understanding who you are when you are living your standout life and how to live in alignment with that optimal version of yourself consistently. How to be the boss of busy and find that quote-unquote work-life balance for your lifestyle. We talk about Ali's thoughts on performance coaches and other modalities working on mindset and human behavior from her professional psychologist perspective. And we dive into the four P's that are holding you back from making progress on your goals and visions. Those four P's are pessimism, procrastination, perfectionism, and people-pleasing. This part of the chat was gold and I know you guys are going to gain so much value from this section alone because I hear from so many of you and I work on these challenges with a lot of my clients. Even if we don't realize that these behaviors are deeply connected to a personal belief that we are not good enough in some area of our life. It triggers our fear, like our the fear of failure, fear of judgment or FOPO, fear of people's opinions as legendary sports psychologist Dr. Michael Gervais terms at the 
the FOPO, that fear of what other people are going to think about us or say about us, the FOPO, it's it's real. FOPO is real. <laughs> but these experiences, they're so common and so paralyzing or crippling for people. I hear it all the time. So I've created a free resource for you. It's a short step-by-step process for driven people who know they can achieve more but need to break through some fears or doubts or limiting behaviors to take their life to the next level. So this free step-by-step resource, it will help you to drop your fear of failure and support you to take action. It helps you to stop procrastinating and putting off the important tasks, helps you to release your thoughts and worries of other people's judgments. It helps with that FOPO. It helps you to drop your self-judgment of not being worthy or not being good enough. It reignites your passion and purpose towards your goals and visions and helps you enjoy life from a more energized perspective so you can go to brettrobo.com forward slash breakthrough fear to get that free step-by-step resource i've created that link in the show notes for you too so you can simply click on the hyperlink and go straight there okay now let's hear from the legend herself ali hill so Ali, I, I like to find out how well people know themselves and I've been asking the question, so I would have normally said, who is Ali Hill? But I think a different way I want to start to explore this is if you had three to five words that were kind of like your personal philosophy that you could anchor into or live by, what would they be for for you? Hmm. That's a whammy of an open question, doesn't that smack you? <laughs> Here we are. I love it. I love it. Straight to uh, straight to the crux of who you are. I think when you say that, three to five questions, the things that come to mind for me are um, there's lots of words that come to mind. It it is around connection, and so. In a lot of ways, uh, for me, that is around, you know, listening and and sharing. Um, I think when we do that, when we sit um, and spend time and connect with each other, which is why I love that question, um, though that for me is really powerful. So that's the meaning of connection. Um, curiosity is a big part for me. So the power of questions and not necessarily the answers, but what the questions are themselves um, is something that is part of my philosophy. Uh, I think that's why I became a psychologist probably, (laughs) (laughs) sitting the question. Um, And family, family is really key and important for me, Uh, both my immediate family, my extended family, my family by choice, you know, those friends, those people you have around you. spending time with them uh, and connecting with them is really, really important. Beautiful. It sounds like even though it was the stump of a question straight up, you, you understand yourself, you, and I think that that actually, I'd love to hear you from your perspective. How important do you think that is for people to, to navigate life from that perspective? 
I think it's really important and I think it's a work in progress constantly. I think if you get to the point where you fully understand yourself, there are, you know, life smacks you with the next reality of, well, what about this? <laughs> what about that? Or it stretches you in a different way. So I just, I think it's a lifelong pursuit. I think there is constantly um, avenues or aspects and ways to get pushed and pressed like I um yeah, there are components myself that I understand, but I also have now a 13-year-old and an 11-year-old and I'm learning brand new things about myself every single day that I didn't realise and I didn't know. So I think it's critically important, but it's the it's actually the pursuit or, as they say, the journey, not mm. the arrival, that is, uh, for me, I think the important thing. And it's so... I guess, important to be adaptable, but it's also the evolution, right? Where we kind of have different seasons of our lives through different periods. Like you said, pre-children, I know for me, pre-children was a very different perspective to during <laughs> now. And even as younger days, looking at the world very differently. And I know that will it will evolve. So having the the awareness of um, of who we are, but also who we want to be and how we want to feel. That's a big thing that I always come back to is or, my choices are going to make me feel one way or another. That's through my thoughts, through my actions, through my connections, through everything. So if I'm consistently choosing things that make me feel happy, uh, make me feel joy, make me feel pride, connected, content, uh, courageous, all of these kind of things, then I feel like as the those periods of evolution and adaptation um, and the, the whirlwinds that our kids can throw at us as they come, <laughs> I've got a good sort of foundation to come back to, to understand what makes me feel supercharged and amazing and love life and come back to those. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in uh, one of the words you mentioned just then is the word courage. I think often we go to kind of happiness and joy and what makes us feel good. And yet, if you would ask anyone and anyone listening, you know, what are you proud of? Um, what's the what's the thing if you look back in the last year or last five years that uh, that really shines? And often it's a challenge that we've overcome. And so, that requires courage, that requires sitting in the, the muck and the unknown and the hard things and, and having to voice the thing that maybe you know is true but other people aren't going to like it or they're going to push back on it. Um, and so for me that's, that's part of the, the seasoning or the things that make, you know, life interesting is to, to know yourself but also to know yourself in the hard moments as well as in the those moments where we feel happy and where we feel joy. Absolutely. And on that note, you you have a podcast called Stand Out Life and wrote the book called Stand Out, a real world guide to get clear, find purpose and become the boss of busy. This is absolutely brilliant title and I could just leave it at that and we could just talk on that for the rest of the episode, <laughs> probably for the rest of the week, to be honest, because there's so much in that. So I just want to unpack that a little bit because most of my legendary listeners who are listening to you right now are busy and they are busy achieving career or business success, or entrepreneurial success, and they're also busy trying to fit in the other things that make them feel good, like quality relationships with their partner or kids or friends, their exercise routines, eating well on the go, fitting in all of the things that we know are important, but it's hard when we are busy. So 
from your perspective, how do you become the quote unquote boss of busy, like it says in the book title? And why is it linked to standing out, getting clear and finding purpose? Um, again, another beautiful, big, <laughs> big question. I think when I think of busy and it probably is worth me, I'm going to answer your question in a moment, but if I backtrack a little bit, I arrived at this book and some of the concepts in this book through my own research. So background in psychology, I've always been fascinated in people, what drives us, what doesn't, what makes us tick asking some of those big questions. But it was also something that I noticed for the people that I was working with, working alongside. So I do a lot of work in businesses and in big corporates, working with leaders um, and organisations going through cultural change. So not in the clinical psychology, but using what we know about psychology in workplaces. And I was finding I was coming across really aspirational people, a lot of the legends that you've spoken about, your listeners, those that want to push for more in their life. They don't, they don't want to just settle for what it is. They're incredibly aspirational. And so by virtue of that, life gets very full. Uh, there's a lot to do. <laughs> there's a lot to get done. Um, and yet when I was looking at all of the, the feedback or all the messages out there around busyness, uh, the messages were slow down, uh, do less. Um, and it was almost like a subliminal message of, of be less. And I could feel this tension for myself, but also for people around me were going, but by doing less, I won't become the person I want to become. Do I have to let go of this aspiration? Do I need to ignore that? And so it was in that tension that I kind of went, I think there's another way. And you and I know that there are incredible people in so many different walks of life who achieve incredible things, but they do so in a way where they don't lose themselves. They do it in a way where they, their sense of character, their sense of who they are, that sense of why they even do it doesn't get lost in amongst the busyness. And it was that research and I guess unpacking that was going well what's the difference because they're not doing less they're not sitting on a mountaintop <laughs> you know saying like they're saying no to certain things but they're still busy so the amount of things we have on the to-do list isn't the difference it was really about connecting back, getting clear first and, first and foremost on the things that really matter. So are we doing things because we think we should, uh, because society or family or mm. friends have told us that you should be doing this and we've, we've just gotten into the habit of it. Um, so that, you know, that's probably the starting point is getting clear on actually what do I want to do? And what can I strip away with? Has it changed? Has it blurred? Have I just gotten on the treadmill? And that comes back to that second element of um, purpose. Why, why am I doing what I'm doing? Um, and it, this is an interesting one. I'm happy to come back to this or go down this kind of rabbit warren if you want to but I think purpose is one of those words that a lot of people bandy around a lot of people throw around and there might even be people listening going I'm sick of hearing you've got to find your life's purpose 
<laughs> I've just got to find dinner, like, you know, like mm. the practicality of it. And so when I talk about purpose, I don't mean necessarily your big one life purpose. It might just be to connect to why you're doing what you're doing right now. So for us, talking on a podcast, connecting, having this conversation, for me, it's got purpose. It's got intention. There are things that I want to, like, I I really want to dive into this conversation. I'm quite excited about that. And so what's the purpose of the job that you're doing? What's the purpose of the phone call that you're about to make? What's the purpose of the dinner that you're about to have? Just even coming back to a sense of purpose in those those small things. Um, Sorry, so that, that was there. definitely kind of a part of it. What's the difference between purpose and intention in those moments? Like having an intention behind the phone call, having an intention behind the meeting as opposed to a purpose behind it. Is there a difference? Is it just wording? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I... Um, and probably one, if I think about it, even here in this moment, I probably use those words interchangeably. Mm. If I think about purpose, it's the sense of why. So if I put that into a definition is that we have a clear sense of why I'm doing it. Um, an intention might be the outcome that I'm that I'm here for, I'm present for, the action I'm going to follow through. So they're very closely aligned. Mm. Um but that sense, if I think of purpose, I probably come back to, and even on a continuum, I talk about this in the book, the purpose sits on the continuum. Um, we're at one end of the continuum, really clear on why. We know why. And you see it in people's body language, shoulders are back, you know, they're kind of heads over their body. They're really um, sitting up straight, posture's really good. And there's a really clear sense of why down the other end of the continuum this is where there's no why so n-o-y mm. <laughs> and the kinds of things that I hear people when you say you know why are we doing this why are we having this meeting and they'll say it's just the way we've always done it we do it just Deadly. because and it's almost again body wise you know shoulders are slumped over heads are down it's just we just do it um, so part of it is thinking about where am I sitting on that sense of purpose or that in that purpose and I think from that intention grows so when we get clear on why we're doing then the intention that we can set um, and I know this is something that you talk about with the work that you do this clear sense of well what's my intention as I as I step into this activity or this task or the thing that I'm about to do, whether it's the day, the week, the month, or the, the you know, the phone call, uh, whatever, you know, time frame that is, um, I think they, they inform each other. I, even the word, the language that we use in, in terms of that, because um, talking about the busyness and I flipped years ago from saying busy and say, I say productive and everyone, people say to me, geez, you're busy, Robert. I say, no, I'm not, I'm productive because one in my mind, if I'm busy, it creates a busy mind and feels like stress. And even if I am actually busy, but in feeling saying productive, then it feels like I'm in alignment with why I'm doing what I'm doing and, and anchoring into that. Uh, so I find that really powerful, but for people listening who say, yeah, I don't care what language you put to it. I'm busy. How, how do you actually 
distinguish is it important for us to flip it is it i'm not saying that everyone has to do it because i do but i find it very powerful and i guess for me as i unpack it too i choose things that feel productive that they actually are influential in what i'm doing so if it looks like i'm busy because i've got clients around the world doing a podcast fitting in my training quality family time hours on end all of these kind of things like hey you're busy how do you fit it all in it's no, that's that's my life choices it feels productive because everything i'm choosing to do is in alignment with with my philosophy and with my way of being yeah i think language is really important um absolutely people have a choice around how you might term it in terms of our society that we are in at the moment the word busy has and i think i even um, talk about this in the book busy has become this badge of honor so it's almost like the race to the busiest if you ever go to a party or you catch up with friends and say how are you? I'm so busy you know I've done these five things and they go oh you're busy well guess how busy I am <laughs> and all of a sudden you're trying to stack on the busyness right so it becomes almost that badge of honor and it's a really conscious intention as you have done and you've talked about is to step out of that race um, now that none of that changes what's in your day and what's on your to-do list, um, which is what you're talking about is the things that are there. I think the other thing when it comes to language is to be really conscious and aware of how your body feels and how you say that term. Mm. So again, when you think about it, when you hear people say, you know, how are you? Oh, I'm so busy and like it comes with exhaustion like I'm tired just hearing it let alone feeling it and saying it um, so that's not to say that there are times when we feel like and you've got two young kids and being very productive there are times where we feel like things are full or we can't find space um, or the things that we you know, the intentions or the things we wanted to do or we hope to do in a week or a month or, you know, a quarter or a year, we haven't got to because our day has been full. So that, you know, that if we change the language, we're not getting rid of any of that. And it's important to acknowledge that there are times where where we might feel exhausted um, or the to-do list feels like it's, it's longer than what the day actually is. So... Um, I think it's important in those moments, and that's why I've called it to become the boss of busy, maybe to get rid of the language of busy, or it might be how do you have busy, how do you rule busy rather than busy rule you? Mm. <laughs> how do we have a choice around? Um, and so one of the things I talk about in the book and I do when I feel that overwhelm is I'll sit down in my morning and actually go, even come back to what's the one thing, what's one thing that if I could get that done today, if I could cross that off my list would make today feel like it is a success. So rather than thinking about often we sit down and we go, what's everything I want to get done is just coming back to what's one thing that if I could get that done, it would feel like today was a success. And it's interesting when we do that, often we'll go to the thing that maybe we've been procrastinating about. So it'll be the report. It'll be the podcast editing. It'll be the, um, you know, the, 
the email that we have to send to someone that is hard and I don't want to send it, but I know that I should, that's the thing that sometimes busyness can hide us. It's a form of procrastination away from the very thing that we know we need to do in order to be productive. So that's a long-winded way to say I think language is really important. Um, do be mindful of it. There are times where things are going to be full, um, but we can also, and as you said before, when we are lit up by it, when we are connected to purpose, when we feel like we're aligned to our values, we can get a lot of stuff done. Mm. So it's not the volume of tasks. It's the connection that we feel to those tasks. I love it how you said to... I can't remember the exact words you said there, but uh, is busy ruling you or are you ruling busy kind of goes back to when you were exploring around the book and all the messages around being less busy were kind of implying to people to, to be less. But when, like you said, if we're, we're high achievers uh, and we want to actually achieve more and that's great, but how do we do it in an aligned way? So it's not impacting the rest of our lives. And that's what I, I love to take it that holistic view and look at things of, How's your sleep? How's your mindset? How's your exercise? All these uh, breathing being a key pillar and looking at all of these things that can actually enhance and allow you, like you said, the to-do list doesn't get smaller when we, when we prioritize all of these kind of things, but allows us to have that, that harmony in life. What's your greatest challenges to living your standout life? Again, another great question. <laughs> um, I mean, one of the challenges is that it is aspiration. It is there are so many things that I would love to do um, with the time, with the space. And so it's almost coming back to what we spoke before around kind of seasons um, that Again, right now, I um, have a 13 and 11-year-old uh, CEO of a company that has come through COVID, um, and that was a tough year for so many businesses. It was incredibly tough for ours, and we've come through it amazingly well, uh, and so want to then, you know, continue that, that rise. So one of the challenges is I am making um, – decisions to say no to things that I would love to do because right now in this season there isn't the time or the capacity and even as you said before for me sleep is really important <laughs> you know um, getting out and moving is really really important and so those things go in my my schedule I'm often in bed by nine o'clock if not earlier most nights and so I won't compromise on that in order to fit fit more in, um, so that is it, that is definitely one of those kind of challenges for me. I think one of the other ones is the the sense of it's almost that imposter kind of syndrome, so the overthinking, and I absolutely get that. It's one of those things that I think is probably pretty common for a lot of people listening. Um, I think it comes alongside that kind of sense of aspiration. Uh, but what drives that can be those elements of 
almost wanting to get it perfect, wanting to get it right, um, seeing where I feel like I'm, I'm, you know, not doing it the same way maybe that others would uh, and that absolutely trips me up from living a, you know, stepping into a standout life for sure. Congratulations, you're human. It's beautiful to hear a psychologist vulnerably speak about those experiences. Oh, we can keep I've, talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that kind of note, I've one thing I've noticed a lot with people I work with is that fear of judgment, fear of failure, and procrastination are three key things that a lot of people experience. And I know procrastination is the behavior. It's the it's the it's the actions, it's the behavior that stems from the underlying foundations of how they're thinking and feeling. But what, is that something that you find as well with the people that you've worked with in, around fear of failure, fear of judgment, and whether they lead specifically to procrastination or if everything's tied in? Yeah, look, I think um, it's pretty human. It's pretty common um, to have those sense of, you know, but what if, what if it doesn't come off? What if it doesn't work? What if I don't work hard enough? What if the person next to me works harder or gets there before I do? Um, so I think I think fear definitely drives procrastination. Um, one of the other elements I talk about in the book, and we've talked about purpose quite a bit in this conversation. And in my research, what I found was whilst purpose is really important, particularly for you know, aspirational driven people who um, don't want to just stop doing things altogether. The other, the other driver of change is having a really strong sense of progress, that sense that we are moving forward. Mm -hmm. And in fact, 2010, Harvard Business Review did a study where they asked leaders and individuals in organisations, what motivates you about coming to work? And all of the usual things that people think of, if, you know, people listening were to ask that question for themselves, what motivates you about work? The kinds of things that came up were, you know, having a challenge, being able to serve and help others. Uh, the people I work alongside, that motivates me. Um, to some extent, um, money motivates people, but only to a point, only mm. to a hygiene factor. There's often lots of other things that motivate people about work. But the number one driver of motivation that um, leaders didn't pick up on, but certainly everyone else that you know worked in these organisations, the number one driver of motivation is having a strong sense of progress. And the moment that we feel like we're not making progress, the moment we feel like um, we're going backwards, where, um, you know, budget's getting cut, you know, things have stopped or, you know, the kind of work that you do, you have an injury, um, you have a couple of sleepless nights and you think, what's the point? Motivation plummets. It starts to disappear. And so there can be, there are actually four what we call arch enemies to progress and procrastinate, they're four Ps, procrastination is one of those. Procrastination is an arch enemy because it halts progress because we never start. It can be the fear of, um, it can be the fear of failure, but sometimes it can actually be the fear of success. What if I get the thing that I wanted? 
who will I be then? Will the people around me pull me down? It's very Australian mm. to, you know, kind of that tall poppy syndrome. So sometimes success is the thing we're afraid of. Um, so progress gets stopped when procrastination turns up. Now, I'm, I know I'm going down track here, but and I'll come back to the other three. But what's interesting about procrastination is procrastination can look busy. So we can be busy while we are procrastinating. Mm. We can be doing a million different things. We can be shuffling paper. For me, I'm, you know, I get into tidy mode. All of a sudden I can see dirt in corners I've never seen before (laughs) (laughs) because I'm avoiding the conversation or I'm avoiding the run or I'm avoiding sitting down and doing my breathing because I just need to get this done. And yet it's actually procrastination. So procrastination isn't necessarily not doing anything it's just avoiding the thing that you remember that what's that one one thing that's gonna get me through so the other three so procrastination is one so just before you move on the to other the other three, three yeah. can i just um get mm. a little bit of clarity here so when i see a busy room i can work with mess or uh, sorry a messy room i can work with mess all around me my wife works from home as well. If she sits down to work and there's mess everywhere, it's got to be clean before she can go. Just getting clarity here for, for the listeners and myself. That's not procrastinating, <laughs> is it, when she tidies before she does work? <laughs> that doesn't mean that I'm more disciplined and ready to go if I don't see that mess, does it? <laughs> no, I'm not coming between you and your wife, right? This is not this is <laughs> But... Um, we all know ourselves where that tidying, there'll be a line, right? There's, there's the tidying up and I'm absolutely that Darren, Darren, my husband can work with a bombshell around him. And I'm like, how do you do it? I need to clear the decks and, and have things sorted. But it's what I mean is when I'm cleaning the corners, when I'm (laughs) shuffling the paper that I just put here and now Mm. I'm putting it over here and now I'm putting it over there, that's when it becomes procrastination. So it's not necessarily just the sorting, but we always have this line where we just, we we kind of are avoiding. (laughs) Got it. (laughs) Okay, let's go back to the three Ps. (laughs) The three. Uh, The four Ps. So the other three are... um, one is perfectionism. So perfectionism halts progress because we spend so much time trying to get what we're doing perfect that we don't create momentum to keep things moving forward. So in the, the kinds of things that you do, it would be things like um, that, you know, I need to get my meditation absolutely perfect and I'm not leaving until I get that right. Um, the, yeah, that kind of, you know, working on, breathing um and and there is a difference between um you know high performance and and a sense of excellence versus perfectionism perfectionism is often driven by the fear that if i don't get it perfect i'm not good enough and so we will stick with something much longer um, or we won't hand it over um, or we never quite get it done like if you were a chronic perfectionist, you would never get this podcast out because we haven't quite asked the right questions or we haven't quite got it edited perfectly. Um, and so you can see how that holds progress. Absolutely. The other two are pessimism. And so this belief that what's the point, never going to get there. So the opposite of pessimism, optimism. optimism. So pessimism. 
<clears throat> um, halts progress because we don't even don't bother starting. What's the point? And we all have an element of that in us. Even the most optimistic will have things or moments where we will sit and ask, what's the point? We've tried it before. It didn't work then. Not going to try it again. Um, so that's the third one. And the fourth and final one is people pleasing. So this drive or desire to want to please others um, which can be driven by the fear of, again, I'm not good enough if people don't like me, um, can halt progress because we're not doing the things that, you know, is important to us. We're saying yes to everyone else. Um, and again, this can be where busyness comes from, is we're saying yes to everyone else, but we don't have time to get it all done. And it's not really the thing that is aligned to us or lights us up. Um, so that those those are the four: procrastination, perfectionism, pessimism, and people pleasing. Interesting to hear you talk about the link to the underlying foundations of the feelings of not good enough, whether people are aware of it or not. How important is it, from your perspective and your abundance of wisdom and knowledge as a psychologist, is it? How important is it that people? explore that and and kind of shift that belief whether they're aware of it or not that's sort of triggering or leading to the behaviors of the perfectionism the procrastination the pessimism the people pleasing i think coming back to your point um earlier it takes courage to sit in in that it takes courage to sit in the questions to go, what's driving this? What's behind this? So if I pick one of those being the people pleaser, if I'm the person that says yes to everyone else, I'll do everything for everyone else. Um, I'd rather, you know, it's more important to be liked. A lot of people listening will go, but surely that's a, that's a nice quality. You know, I'm being kind or I'm being generous. Um, it's when it's the moment that it starts to cost you, cost you, um, and it's probably the the trick or the code that I say, and I've I've certainly done this. Bring people pleaser <laughs> um, at heart in a lot of ways, but it's when we say yes, but mutter under our breath, going, "Oh, I don't have time for this." Mm. That can be that kind of code. And so your question around how important it is, it takes courage to stop and ask that question in that moment or even afterwards and go, why did I say yes? What's behind that? What would happen if I were to say no? And that takes courage because what might happen if you were to say no is that people might be annoyed, particularly if has said yes years mm. and you're now saying you know it's like but you've always helped me yeah but today I don't have time I need to you know I've got other things on my plate is there someone else that can help you you might get pushback um, and so it's the question of what's more important in that moment is me feeling my cup up and feeling energized and having space and reconnecting to me important or is 
needing to be liked by other people more important. Um, and that, yeah, that takes a huge amount of courage to sit in and, and sit in those questions. Often stemming from uh, insignificance if uh, through what they might be exposed to earlier in life and um, sort of pre-programming their, their deeper wiring and their, their beliefs become around that, that I need to do this to prove that I am worthy, that I am liked, that I am significant. So maybe not even realizing that our actions and behaviors in those moments, even if we ask that question actually come from maybe a lifetime of wiring or an early childhood of wiring. Absolutely. Yeah, there's all sort of, um, there's different ways that it comes from. It, it can be through that, um, what were the messages we were told growing up um, about helping and, and supporting other we, people. what meaning did we put to those messages? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It can also be the um, societal messages of our time. Mm. And so certainly in my research, particularly for that people-pleasing one, I know I'm honing on that, but more for an example, um, probably a lot more females will see themselves in that. And again, as a society, we've been told that, you you know, women are much more nurturing, they're more giving, um, they'll give themselves to the point where they actually will lose sight of who they are in the process. But it almost feels like we've been told through society, through a whole range of different messaging, that, um, that that's the way things should be. And so, yeah, absolutely, it comes through a whole range of different backgrounds, um, and it's not to say you need to know all of the answers to make changes as well. So I think it's valuable to dive into some of those questions and to shift some of those beliefs. Uh, but I'm sure with the work that you do, sometimes it is just taking that first step. It is just taking those small actions that you go, oh, the world didn't cave in when mm. I left work at four o'clock or I, <laughs> you know, I, I set some boundaries or I had half a day off and I did absolutely nothing mm. and everything was okay. So sometimes it's actually just starting with some of those experiments um, to, to become the boss of busy, to push back on this sense of busy. And it, it's kind of in a, alignment with the we talk about the theories of the one percent improvements the marginal gains and i know you've had uh james clear on your podcast talking about the the habit changes in that way and the the atomic habit so it's it's in alignment with that isn't it just making those small changes and then coming back to one of your words of your philosophy is having the curiosity so the courage to do it but the curiosity to to look at it differently i love that wayne dwyer quote change the way you look at things and the things you look at change so if you have the courage to step back and do that at times and make those small improve or small changes and small improvements, it's when we sort of get the quantum leaps and the big changes. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And that's a, you know, I use that term experiment quite purposefully. And um, I'll often say to people, well, what, what experiment are you going to do in the next week, in the next 10 days that you could just play with? Um, I remember a number of years ago, when my kids were younger and I read, um, I read the book Thrive, which was all about sleep and the importance of sleep and um, Ariana, Ariana Huffington. Huffington yeah. 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 Yes. She was talking about how she prioritizes getting eight hours sleep every single night. And I thought, I don't think I've had eight hours sleep in about three years. 
<laughs> but if it's good enough for Ariana, I'll, I, I'll give it a go. And I'd run fatigue management programs. I'd done a lot of research about sleep hygiene, uh, sleep, you know, sleep management. And so I thought, right, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it as an experiment. So I said, for eight days, I'm going to try and get eight hours sleep. And I think I even put it out on Instagram. I called it eight for eight. I said, if anyone wants to join me for the next eight days, I'm going to just try and get eight hours sleep. So the very first night I did everything right. I you know, turned off all the blue lights um, an hour and a half before bedtime. Um, I went and had a warm shower. I'd had my, um, uh, my sleepy time tea. Uh, I said goodnight to Darren, said goodnight to the, the kids had gone to bed. Um, really low light in our, in our bedroom. I read for a little bit. I turned my light off because um, I'd timed the eight hours, right? Like, so I'm like, right, I've got to go to, you know, turn the light off here. I'll be asleep by here. That'll be eight hours by there. And of course, the light went out and my, my head went crazy busy. So <laughs> for an hour and a half, I laid there and tossed and turned. And of course, then you're in this frantic kind of sense of now I've only got seven hours and 48 minutes and how am I going to get this in? <laughs> so it just piles on from there. That same night, um, my daughter, Kate, I think she must have been about three, about one o'clock in the morning, she tiptoed into our bedroom, you know, tapped me on the head and said, mum, I'm feeling sick. And then proceeded to vomit into my hands as I was <laughs> sitting in the bed. So I spent the next hour tidying her up and sorting all of that out. So I didn't get eight hours in that first night, but because I'd set it as an experiment for eight days. I was committed to coming back to it the next day mm. and the next day. Whereas if I hadn't set that experiment, I would have gone, it's it's not for me. It's impossible. I'll let it go. Yeah, yeah. So across the eight days, I think I got eight hours four of the eight days. But on the other days, I definitely got better sleep. I read two books in those eight days, you know, just having that time at night, mm. um, which was important for me to do. And I felt better, even if I hadn't hit the full eight hours, I felt better each morning when I got up. Um, and so I think it's with that experiment mindset, this kind of going, well, let me test it in my life. Let me test it with you know, what I've got going on, what do I need to tweak? What do I need to change? What do I need to be kind on myself around? Um, but also how can I play with what that experiment is? So whatever busyness you might be facing, think about what experiment you could, you could run for the next eight days. And I'd yeah, love to hear love what, what that might be. I, I love that 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 word to put experiment to it. As you're speaking about it, I thought that's that's what I do and that's what I coach a lot of without that word. And I think that brings a lot more um, a different kind of connection to it. For, for example, with um, I work with a lot of guys who, you know, career driven, business driven, and might be experiencing relationship tension. And it's because of this feeling of overwhelm and not enough time for the quality time and everything else that needs to be done. And then slipping into victim mode when they get home and they're expected to put on the, the husband and the father hat and, you know, it's quite challenging. And so one of the challenges that I actually give them is to, to maximize the time they've already got, but stepping into empathy in those moments. And it can be friggin' tough, but instead of us slipping into a victim, which is easy to do when we feel like, don't you understand how busy I've been and how much I've got to do? And then what you expect me to do all this? 
and then stepping into the empathy of, okay, this actually isn't about me. I wonder how my partner's day has been and how she's feeling and what energy levels she's at and, and coming mm. at it from the perspective of this is actually what part of what I want and feel like I don't have time for is this quality time or this connected time. And actually this mm. feeling of even though I've got all my to-do list and all of those kind of tension points, but shifting that. So maybe an experiment, an, an empathy experiment, because I know for me, and I just recently um, I posted that. about this from a vulnerable experience that I know in our relationship that when I'm not stepping into empathy, that's when I'm triggered into victim mentality. That's when I'm emotionally reactive, mostly internally. Very, very rarely that I have a disagreement with my gorgeous wife, but occasionally we um, we do. And it's often linked back to, honestly, sleep. When we're tired, which hmm. we're in the baby bubble right now, there's a bit of fatigue going on. <laughs> totally. So it's an easy trigger. So <laughs> I love that you linked it back to that before. And, and proof in what you were saying that we can have all the knowledge in the world, we can have really good systems and processes, and we have to have adaptability intelligence because we will be thrown into that um, situation where it's going to, I always say everything like that is the universe just giving you a little nudge and saying, hey, Robbo. Are you sure? Yeah. Are you sure? You've got all this knowledge and awareness. What are you going to do with it right now? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I love that empathy, empathy experiment. I'm going to try that myself. I think it's a nice one. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Now you mentioned there before about your company going through Getting through COVID and pragmatic thinking, I know, was one of the fastest growing companies in Australia a few years ago. And obviously, you guys were heavily impacted um, through COVID. I would, I would love to hear a little bit about um, what the what the major impacts were, because I also I remember in the early days seeing Darren, your husband, uh, who I've coached a few times, and and seeing his posts, and I could you could sense it. I could sense the uh, the pain that was pushed onto you guys as as people and as company owners with a lot of staff. And I thought, wow, it gave me a different perspective because I was impacted, but nothing like that, nothing like that. We lost 80% of our income overnight and our projected income, but at the same time, didn't have staff. Uh, it was easy for us to adapt because we're already online, different things like that. It was just a completely different kind of perspective that I was in. But the reason why I'd love to hear that too is because you've also got your new book coming out uh, April 1st, 2021. Actually, is that a joke? Yeah, no, it's not. No. <laughs> April Fool's? Okay, so it really is coming out April 1st. Okay. I hope it is anyway. It'll be a joke from the publishers. The joke, yeah, the joke might be on you. <laughs> um, no, but the, the book that you've got coming out called Work From Anywhere, The Essential Guide to Becoming a World-Class Hybrid Team. So I would love to hear about that book and I would love to hear about the impact that you guys had and whether this book actually came about because of that or whether it was already in the pipeline? Um, the answer is yes, the book came about because of that. Um, but it also replicates a lot of what 
we were hearing from our clients, the people that we are so fortunate to kind of partner with, with the work that we do. So as I said before, Pragmatic Thinking, we are a behaviour and motivation strategy company, which is a lot of words um, that people know but haven't really kind of heard of often. We work with big corporates who are going through change around leadership development and looking at cultural shifts. So we are big people people. Uh, what is the culture we have in our organization? What do we want? And how do we how do we give our leaders the capability to and equip them to be able to deal and manage and lead and motivate and um, create engaging experiences in workplaces with their people? Uh, and any strategy you have in a business lives and dies the moment it hits people. So you can have the best strategy in the world, but if no one comes on board, it's not happening. Mm. And so that's a big part of the work that we do. We've got an amazing, amazing team and an incredible culture. We've invested a lot in our culture and our culture needs work, like every good culture does, needs um you know, constant attention and and constantly, you know, it's a it's a lifelong kind of mission as well. So COVID, um, we're chatting today, and I'm not sure when this will come out, but we are talking on the 15th of March. So it's exactly 12 months ago. I distinctly remember the 14th, 15th, and 16th of March. 2020, um, as no doubt you did in your business, but we got. Every single phone call we got was a cancellation of work. So, so much of our work was face-to-face training, mm. um, off-site conferences, uh, six-month leadership programs, um, or full extensive cultural shift uh, programs inside organisations. So, some of the very first things to go let alone the face-to-face, all disappeared overnight. So 95% of our revenue, um, not only what we had, but what we had um, coming in, disappeared in three days. And prior to that, Darren and I had spoken in early March and we could see some of the changes that were happening. And we'd actually said to each other, we won't make any key decisions until the end of March. That was until the 15th. 14, 15, 16th of March. Um, and and so we felt that so dramatically because at the time, um, I'm trying to remember, we had 14 people in our team and of that we had I think about 10 children in our family. So it's very much not in our immediate family, but in the pragmatic thinking team and family. And so we're very acutely aware of, um, you know, really being there and looking after and being the place that people are employed for their own families. But even the leaders that we were talking to in corporates were feeling this same pressure. They could see the impact on individuals. Um, It was soon after that, that here in Australia, Scott Morrison, we had a full lockdown across Australia, Australia wide. So any work that could be done from home was done from home. Um, And so again, the leaders we were talking to were, you know, didn't have time just to kind of rest or watch Netflix 
in this break. They were um, feeling every, you know, heartache. They were feeling every impact of their people. The strategy that they'd mapped for 2020 had been thrown out the window and they were spending exorbitant amount of hours every single day and on weekends trying to find a way through. And we were doing the same as business owners. So I'm sure there are plenty of listeners who are in that same boat. Um, And so many, every single industry and every single workplace has been impacted by COVID-19. There's no way around that. So we're not unusual in that regard. But it was tough, Brett. It was Mm. really tough. Um, And so we came back to... Uh, we did work weekends, we did work long days, and we came back to what's our framework here? How are we going to be able to make decisions that best serve the business and best serve our people? Um, And so we did have to make some tough calls in terms of letting some people go at that time. And what was tough at the time was on the very same day, that I was talking to every single member of our team. So either we spoke to people and uh, we would need to make their their position, have their position go. And that wasn't done immediately. That was over a period of time to allow them time to go and look for other work or we were reducing hours. So on that same day that I had that conversation with everyone in our team, uh, we were also on the list of the AFR Fast 100 for for 2020. Mm. So as a business, that was an extraordinary tough day Mm. um, and a tough conversation to have. The character of the people in our team really showed through on that day. Every single person, regardless of what conversation I was having with them, felt for us, felt for our business and felt for each other. And they all stepped up in their own way. Um, Those who are no longer with our team um, have actually gone on to, you know, find amazing jobs and they did in the time prior to um, finishing up with us. Mm. Um, uh, A couple have come back um, into the fold, which is, which is fantastic. Um, but it was very much, uh, okay, create a framework for a decision, treat people like people and find a way to support each other through this process. With face-to-face having disappeared, one of the other things we found was um, such a massive shift to virtual and virtual connections. And so, um, so much of what we do is in training and we wanted to shift away from, um, I guess, these experiences where, you know, we were jumping onto Zoom, but the experience wasn't great. The lighting was bad. The sound quality was terrible. Um, or at best, it was, you know, a laptop on a bunch of books and someone kind of talking to the camera or you're just watching a really bad slideshow. So in amongst it all, we thought, how do we innovate? How do we get seen and noticed in this space? And so we invested in creating a TV quality studio with five cameras, full lighting, full setup um, to be able to deliver exceptional virtual training sessions and, um, and then just started to kind of take that to market. And that 
was a um, it was an educated uh, gamble, so to speak, but um, it was one that has absolutely kind of paid off in terms of the way we could continue to connect with teams and leaders, but do it in a way that was engaging and would create behaviour change, which is a big part of what we do, to the point where we've had some organisations, some um you know, multinational, international companies say to us, this is the best that they've seen and they've seen a lot. Brilliant. So well done. that's been, yeah, thank you. That's been extraordinary. And I think what it did is it gave purpose to our team and it realigned uh, what we do and the impact that we can have. And to get clear on what we do isn't just about the face-to-face. It isn't, wasn't about the, you know, even the products that we had. It was actually about the people we connected with and how we find a thing that served their need at the time. Um, so we very much came back to that. Coming back to, to the book that you mentioned, um, we did what every did was our team all worked from home and so again that was part of the necessity that was part of the requirement Um, but we made a decision early on that we would this wasn't just a short-term thing that we were going to invest in how do we create and I guess the two biggest fears of having people work whether it's work from home or work in a what they call a distributed fashion work remotely is what if they're not productive? What if they don't get the work done? So that's one of the biggest fears. And the second biggest fear is how, what if they feel disconnected from our culture or from each other? How do we know if people are okay if they're not coming into the office? Mm. So this sense of performance and people, how do we look mm. after those? And so, again, really early on, we we looked at this and we said, look, this isn't going to be we're not the only people facing this. In fact, every organisation, every company, the bigger the company, the bigger that challenge is around how do we how do we know that people are doing the work, they're performing and getting things done and how are we looking after our people and connecting them to culture? So we really invested in what would it take for our team to become world-class even if we're not in an office. And we were staunchly, this is a massive change for us. We were staunchly culture first company. Um, Culture over comfort was a mantra that we had. You come into the office, connect with people. We're big huggers in our team. We love that physical connection. And and so for us, we went, okay, if we're going to have to make that shift, what are the things that we need to learn with our team? And then how much is that you know, translatable to larger organisations who are facing this challenge. And so really that was the essence behind the book, which is, as you've you've mentioned, called Work From Anywhere, The Essential Guide to to Becoming a World-Class Hybrid Team. 75% of people in numerous research that's happening right at the moment say they desire and uh, are expecting from their workplace to have the flexibility to work hybrid, Mm. to be able to come into the office occasionally and work from other locations occasionally, Um, to be able to have that greater flexibility. They've seen that they are productive and this grand experiment has proven 
that people can be incredibly productive without the cost of a commute mm. and still being able to go to their kids' events at their schools or pick them up afterwards and go, you know, to their footy training or whatever it is, that that it doesn't have to come to the cost of impacting on family and that they're actually better people for it. But they're also... And I guess the other component around culture is that you can still be hugely connected with people without, without having to be under the same roof. Um, that requires a framework and it requires a commitment to that. And that's a big part of, um, yeah, what we map out in the book. So, yes, it's been a massive year, a lot that we've learned. Um, but like any challenge, there have been so many gifts and so many opportunities that have come our way that I'm incredibly grateful for. I tell you what, your fast movers, if it's 12 months ago today that it all hit and everything that you went through, and here we are 12 months later and you're releasing a book as you come out the other side, well done. That's uh, adaptability intelligence right there. That's what happens <laughs> when a psychologist is the CEO of a company. <laughs> That's brilliant. It's it, When I hear you talk about that, I'm good friends with and have mentor uh, Maddie Elliott and he has a wellbeing company and I talked to him in the early days of, of COVID hitting and there, you know, they had a big office right in the heart of Sydney and then all of a sudden no one could go in and same concerns, how would productivity be? But what they realized was the productivity actually improved, increased with having people working from home and the wellbeing of their staff improved because they didn't have to do the big commute. They had more time to look after themselves and therefore their well-being was actually improving. So he said, you know, we've got to reflect on this as a well-being company. If our well-being and productivity is increasing, we've got some serious changes to make. Uh, so it could be a good thing. And then I look at things environmentally as well and think how amazing that people aren't flying all around the country for a one-hour meeting or commuting and all of the things like that. Obviously, human connection is important, but I think that we're kind of overdoing it in a way and, the environment needed a bit of a, a clean up in that way. But yeah, thank you for sharing that. I can only imagine how much uh, emotional um, impact that would have had on you guys, you and Darren, knowing how much effort you put into culture first and then all of a sudden it's just you couldn't do anything about it. It was, it was really just shaken and taken from underneath you like with what everyone in the world experienced. But you guys from that perspective, it impacted your your broader family through that way. So thank you for sharing that experience. And thank you for sharing it into a book as well for the rest of the world to, to learn from that and know what we can do. So I'll uh, link all of that up in the show notes. I do have one final question. I'm very uh, aware of time and know that you have, I know that your husband uh, is off on a, a spin class now. So you, you don't worry about missing time with him, but with your, your kids, but I do, I'm really curious, Ali, because you're a qualified psychologist. You've done the years of study and probably the years of continued study to keep up your, your license or your qualification, understanding how that works. I've worked alongside many sports psychologists with my career in high-performance sport. I've worked uh, and one of my close mentors is uh, Dr. Happy, Tim Sharp, who's a positive psychologist. And uh, I, I've I'm always intrigued to speak with and learn from and read from psychologists and, and your understanding of the world. I'm curious to know from you though, how do you feel about other modalities who do not have the formal education like psychology do and are working with, with people and getting 
results, so to say, with people and helping them achieve things. Um, when you think about that, that they're not qualified in that space, so to say, like a psychologist is. So my example is performance coaching. And I know that you're good friends with Nam Baldwin, who's a close friend and mentor of mine and his beautiful partner, Devo. And obviously I'm a performance coach too, working in around that mental and emotional space from that perspective. How do you feel about it as a qualified psychologist seeing these kind of mix of modalities? I think you should all stop and just leave it to me and Dr. Sharp. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no. I, um, <laughs> I, um, again, that it's a, it's a beautiful question. I think there are so many ins. There are so many questions people have about life. Um, and the work that you do around high performance, which I know connects, you know, it almost connects to how do we have a great life? How do we have a life that we feel excited about when we wake up in the morning? And there are, there are so many ins and pathways and questions and possibilities around that. There's almost as many as there are human beings on the planet, right, in terms of different ways that we can approach that. Um, so in a very kind of broad way, I, I welcome and I think it's, um, I think it's really important to continue to learn and to continue to um find and explore the modality that best suits the question that you're sitting in in a particular point in time or the people that kind of connect for you for for what you need right right then and there um, I guess the flip side of that is that like any modality um, it is important to be to know where limits are so as a professional so I know for myself, even with um, the background in psychology that I've had and I've worked in clinical settings in the past, right now, uh, my best efforts and my focus are in the workplace. For me to step back into a clinical setting, I would do further training and I would get really strong support around me because that would be important for me to be ethical and to be clear on what the current research is and to just know where my edge is as a practitioner. And so I think that's really important for any practitioner, regardless of modality, is to know where am I, where is my stretch, like where am I best utilised and then what are the areas that actually there might be other professionals who are better served to support. Um, I think believing that one person can be all things uh, in all aspects, that's where it can, can become tricky. But in terms of um, continuing to grow, continuing to learn, to add to the conversation, to dive into, um, and I think it's critical for all of us, regardless of even, um, you know, me, I think one of the things we are getting away from is being challenged in our thinking. Uh, we are being fed on social media the same things that we believe in. We hang around people who believe the same things that we do. And we're losing the art of really quality debate and dialogue. 
um, and being able to see different perspectives. And so I welcome that and um, I think it's a really healthy and important thing to continue to drive, um, you know, excellence and high performance. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you for that perspective. All right. Very aware of your time now. So to wrap up, where can the listeners learn more about you? So social media or website, and then how can I and the listeners help you on your journey? Oh, thank you. Thanks, Brett. Look, I just love this conversation. I think where where do I hang out? Mostly I hang out on Instagram, so at Ali Hill. Um, the business website is pragmaticthinking.com. Um, so to find out all, all about the business and the work that we do. Um, and yeah, as you mentioned before, the book's coming out. Uh, so if there is anyone listening who's interested in what it takes for their team to be a world-class hybrid team, uh, whether that's from just their team or even broader across their organisation, you can grab a copy of that book where all good books are sold, apparently. Apparently a few bad books as well. <laughs> On that note, what I'm going to do, actually, I just thought of this is anyone that's listening that uh, reaches out to me and tells me what their key takeaway was, I'm going to actually uh, shout them the book as, a, as an ebook and uh, get them to them, get it to them in that way, because I know there'll be a lot of value in there. And for any listeners that believe, have a look and think uh, if that's what it's, it's going to resonate with them, I want them to contact me and let me know a key takeaway that they got from this and what they learned. And that's going to be my gift to, to the listeners and to you, Ali, for your time on here. So, so thank you so much for that. Wow. Amazing. Thank you. <laughs> I, I was going to do a quick uh, bonus question with you, but we've talked for a long time on here and, and I was going to jump onto Instagram live, but I don't want to <laughs> take up much more of your time. So we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up there, but is there anything else that you would like to, to say to the listeners uh, or anything else you would like to, anything you would like to ask me before we go? Well, I ask you, um, what does it mean to you to live a standout life? To me, it's it's about living intentionally and I coming back into, so I'm, I like to say that I'm an optimistic lover of life and a few words within my philosophy are love. I believe everything operates from love, giving and receiving love. As soon as I step into love, that's empathy, that's connection, that's uh, that's my family time, that's love of self and that's, you know, it, it really embodies so much there. Uh, impact is big for me. So I know that the work that I do significantly impacts and changes people's lives. Uh, and then I, the things that I explore that I'm curious about, that I invest my time and energy and effort and resources into uh, has an impact in my life. So impact goes quite deep there and, and wisdom is huge for me as well. So uh, to, to learn from people and not just learn as in, absorb the knowledge, but then know how to process it and what to do with it to actually bring it into my life. So there's those kind of things, but then standout life for me is actually is absolutely, sorry. Um, my health is my number one core value, my physical, mental, and emotional health. Without that, I can't be that loving, connected husband and empathetic husband and, and supportive present father and uh, and do the work that I do so to stand out life is prioritizing those kind of things and uh, the values around quality time with my friends and family and and obviously the impact through the company so when I'm in alignment with that 
which is most of the time, but I'm human and I get triggered like what you were sharing before. Uh, it's, it, you know, life is, it's abundance. It's, it's limitless. It's, it's everything. So standout life to me is living in alignment with those, those core values. Thank you for asking. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Ali, you're a legend. You're an inspiring role model that's showing us all we can have great health awesome relationships and thriving, abundant careers or businesses. Keep shining your standout light to the world, my girl. Thanks, Brett. Love the combo. There you go. What an absolute legend of a human. I love hearing how Ali has taken her her professional psychologist perspective and molded it into the business world and also general life with such a fun and engaging direction to help us all live our standout life. Ali reached out after the recording and said that she'd also like to give away two book packs to you legendary listeners with a mix of her newest book and her standout life book. So if you're an action taker and keen to absorb her knowledge and turn it into wisdom in your life, here's how you can do it and get the books for free. Within a couple of weeks of the release of this episode, I will do a post on my social media asking for your top takeaways from this episode. You just simply need to answer it and share the post and you're in the running. I'm giving it a couple of weeks because not everyone listens to this episode as soon as it comes out. So I'm giving more people a chance to listen to it. So whenever you're listening to it, just jump on, follow me on social media, have a look on my Facebook or my Instagram and look for the post about the Alley Hill book giveaway. So make sure you're following me on the Instagram or Facebook. Facebook is at Brett Robbo Coach, Instagram at Brett Robbo One. And please jump online and follow Ali as well. So her awesome website is allisonhill.com.au. And she's also active on Instagram at Ali Hill. Also, a quick reminder that if the chats about the four P's and the fears resonated with you, I've created a free guide that can help you shift these limiting behaviors and break through those paralyzing fears. BrettRobbo.com forward slash breakthrough fear. If there's anything else you legends would love support with and more free resources on, please just email me or direct message me on social media. I love hearing from you and helping you as much as I can. And as always, remember, this is your life journey, your life of impact.